Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. Hey, good morning. How's everybody today? Right, so we're uh, so if you were here last week, last week we uh, our message last week was entitled "Free Indeed," and we talked about some different areas from Ch- John chapter eight that that could be warning signals or warning signs or symptoms that you could possibly be in bondage to something and not even be aware of it. So today we're going to kind of take off of that that same thought, and I want to go a little bit farther into that. Now, if you know me, if you've been attending here for a while or watching online, I'm by gifting more of a teacher. So I typically get down in and dig things out and uh, as God shows them to me. But today we're going to do more of a 30,000-foot view uh, as I began to prepare for today's message, I told my wife, I realized this is probably three messages, but we're going to, so we're going to do more of a 30,000 foot view today. And I encourage you this week to take some of these passages that we're going to look at. Spoiler alert. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today, but uh, I have most of it on the PowerPoint. So not a uh, little bit more than normal. So, um, today I want to look at this thing called open doors open doors because when we we looked last week we talked about things we could possibly be in bondage to or warning signs that we may be in bondage but the way we get into bondage is by opening the door up to the enemy so sometimes we do that we're completely aware of it sometimes we're 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 not aware at all so i want to start out we're going to read just two verses from john chapter 10 and then we're going to look at first john chapter 2 and both of these are very familiar passages but God really showed me something this week, the correlation between what the enemy does and the only thing that he's out to do, and also the three, what I think of the three main open doors in any, or can be open doors in any person's life, that he uses three three open doors in order to do the three things that he likes to do. So uh, see if you see those as we go through the message today. All right, so let's go ahead. We'll go to um, John chapter 10, very familiar verse. And we'll just take a few minutes and talk through this. It says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door. Everybody say the door. All right, now Jesus tells us later in this passage, who is the door? Jesus is. Jesus says, I am the door. So if you didn't, if you need to know that, read a little farther ahead in John 10 and he'll, he'll tell you that. He says, so whoever does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up, say this, some other way. So today we're going to talk about the some other ways. So these are some other ways that the thief gets into the sheepfold. And he says, but he climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Now, we've talked about this before. To be a thief is a little different than being a robber. A thief is somebody that steals by stealth. They, they sneak in, they take unawares, you're not really, you're not aware of it until you, you go and you find out later you're missing something. A robber is a little bit different. A robber is somebody that probably says, hey, give me your stuff, puts a gun to your head. It's, it's the thought of theft by violence as opposed to theft by stealth. So two different things. But he said the one that enters some other way is a thief and a robber. He does both. And then in verse 10, we know this verse, it says the thief does not come except. So there's no other reason, no other reason. He says the thief only comes, or he comes for no reason except to do three things. And what are they? To steal, to kill, and destroy. 
But Jesus says, but I have come that you may have life and may have it more abundantly. So here's, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, okay, the sheep come in and out through me. I am the door. So if the enemy comes, if the thief comes, he's not getting through me because he can't get through me. Remember the verse that says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So the enemy is no match for Jesus. He cannot get through Jesus. Jesus is the door. But what he says, when he comes, he comes some other way. Right? He's not coming through the door, but maybe it's a side door. Maybe it's a little side window back here. There's a widow window. There's a widow window back here. Yeah. He he really likes those widow windows. Whittle doors and whittle windows. So what we're going to do today is, is really try to expose how we end up opening the door to the enemy. Now, if anybody, if you know me, <clears throat> my wife will love to tell you this, I'm a checker. I have any fellow checkers in here. Now, if you're a checker, you'll know what I'm talking about. Huh? Three, three times, four times. So when we were first married... I would literally check every lock on the window, I check every door, then I'd, I I had this pattern. I go through the whole house because I've always had a fear of of a robber. Like I don't want to be stolen from. Not that I keep anything in my house, but I just don't want to wake up with a gun in my face, you know? Kind of appreciate that, right? So, I I'm a checker and then I get to bed and I'm, I'm laying there and yeah, I have that like did, did I check that third window after the second well, I don't know. Then I go back and and then my OCD kicks in. Well, I can't just check the window I thought was open. i got to go make the whole circle around the house again. So thank God for security systems because it's really given me a measure of freedom. So I can just set the alarm, go to bed. I still check the doors, but not the windows. So I'm improving, right? I've made strides. But here's the thing. What, anybody ever lay in bed and you hear a noise? Yeah. And, and, and if you're like me, you typically say, hey, baby, did you hear that? And she says, yeah. I'm like, well, go check it out for me. Why don't you? <laughs> yeah, don't do that, husband. But sometimes the wives need training, too. You know, it's funny. You guys know I have a dog named Grayson. And we sent this dog to training when he was, when he was a little dog. And he listened very well. But now he just, like any teenager, doesn't listen at all. And so Kristen said, well, I know what I'll do. So yesterday she takes him to, to Paul Paul to where we had him trained, takes him to the trainer, and the trainer says, Kristen, Grayson does not need trained. You need retrained. So, so sometimes it's us. <clears throat> so here's the thing. If you hear that noise in the middle of the night, right, and what if I heard a noise and I go peek out the front door and I see a guy or two guys in a black ski mask with the eyes cut out, black clothes, and a couple guns. Would it make sense if I just said, you know what, I don't want them to have to try too hard. You know, everybody should have the same same chance in life, right? Like, I, 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 everybody should get a trophy, even the thief. So I think what I'll do, you know, I don't want the guy to hurt, hurt, break a nail, or, you know, I don't want him to, to fall and skin his knee trying to get in here. So I think I'll just, I think I'll just unlock the door. 
I think I'll just crack it a little bit, give him a little thumbs up, and then I'll go to bed. No one would do that. But we do that in our spiritual lives all the time. We do that. We know the enemy's out there. We know, at least I hope you do, we know his tactics. And then we get down this path and we're like, ah, you know what? It's just a crack. It's just a little opening. He's not going to get in. Ah, just leave that door cracked. It's not a big deal. It is a big deal. Because he's looking for some other way to get in. Because he can't get in through Jesus. But he can get in some other way. And the other ways are the ones that we leave open to him. Sometimes knowingly, sometimes not knowingly. Alright, so 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16 says this. And so here's the, what I, I really think are the three main doors, if you will. Now there's, there's maybe other doors or sub-doors, but, but I really think you could almost put everything into these three categories. It says, do not love the world. Now when Jesus, or John, the same writer here, but really Jesus, is he was the word. He, he, when he says, do not love the world, he's not talking about people, right? Because we know that in John 3, 16, it says, for God so what? Love the world. So God loves people, but what this is talking about, it says, do not love the world, meaning the world system or the world's way of doing things. He says, don't love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the Father, the love of the Father is not in him. Uh, if you read the Passion Translations, it says the love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible with each other. They just, they're, they're diametrically opposed. They, they, they just can't operate in the same space. For all that is in the world. So when he says don't love the world, the world's way of doing things, or the things in the world, now he's going to tell us what those things are. It says all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Now later in John chapter 5, John says this. He says, the whole world or everything in the world is under the sway or under the influence or under the control of the wicked one. So he says, don't love anything in the world. Here are the three things in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And everything in the world is under the influence of of the wicked one or under the influence of the enemy. So he says, don't go there. Don't, and, and, and oddly enough, this word love is, is the same kind of God love. It's agape. And, and, and if you know anything about the word agape, it's a sacrificial love. And he's, he's basically saying, don't sacrifice things in your life for the things of the world. Don't sacrifice the things of God for the things of the world. Because the enemy just is waiting. He's waiting for this open door. And, and so what we're going to look at today, I want to look at these three things. I want to look at three things of how the, the really you can be demonically influenced through these three doors. Um, so I want to look at them a little bit backwards, and I'll just talk here for a minute. So in, in the Bible, they're written, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. So let's just talk about that for a minute. So when we see the word lust, everybody instantly, when they think of lust, they think of something bad. Now, sometimes in the Bible... The word lust is used in a positive way. So if you think of when, right before the Passover, Jesus says, he says, I fervently desire to desire to eat this Passover with you. Same word, epithumia in the Greek. So to desire something, to it'd be funny if we read that and Jesus says, I fervently lust to lust to eat this Passover with you. 
It just sounds weird. So the translators use the word desire. But lust is really just an intense desire. It's a craving, sometimes for something good, sometimes and more times than not for something bad. So here it's, it's used in a negative connotation. So when we think about the, the, the lust of the flesh, it's just what it is. If you want, if you want uh, to know what those are, you can go to Galatians chapter 5. It talks about that the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. Uh, they're incongruent with each other, and then he goes on to tell you what the works of the flesh are. I'll just give you a hint. Adultery and fornication are the top two, and uh, no coincidence there. But the spirit of lust is, is one thing we're going to talk about today. The second thing, the, the lust of the eyes. So you're like, what's the difference between lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh? I really believe lust of the eyes has to do with greed and materialism. It's not that having things is wrong. It's just that when the things have you, they begin to take a wrong turn. And so it's this, it's this uh, insatiable desire that when I see something, I've got to have it. And we're going to look at how the spirit of mammon uh, is a demonic spirit begins to influence us when it comes to, to the things we have. And then finally, the, the pride of life is really where I want to start. Uh, I know it's listed last, but I think it's probably one of the, the biggest issues where people fall and have an open door in their lives is, is with pride. And, and really pride, if you think about it, pride is just trusting in yourself instead of trusting in God. It's that, it's that mindset that I've got this. I can do this. I've got this on my own. I can do this in my own strength. It could be trusting in your own strength. It could be trusting in your own willpower. It could be trusting in your own righteousness. Like, hey, I've done it right. I know what I'm, I'm good. I've, I've done everything right. It could be trusting in your own education, whatever it is. Anything you trust in yourself other than trusting in God. And you know, it's really no coincidence, I don't think, at least in English, that what's the center letter for the word pride? I. If you think about the first person that ever, uh, not person, the first angel, angelic being that fell was Lucifer. If you read in Isaiah chapter, uh, I think it's 14, verses 13 and 14, when it says how Lucifer fell, he said, I will ascend. I, I will uh, exalt myself. I will sit above the stars. I will uh, be like the most. It was I, 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 I. And, you know, I've seen this time and time again. I, I've seen it when we have, uh, if, if you're in one of our recovery homes now or you've been in there before, I see this thing where where, where people will come out of something and become and, and get a degree of maturity in their life, and all of a sudden the spiritual maturity turns into spiritual arrogance. And the next thing you know, bam, it's an open door to the enemy. And you fall again. And so we're going to look at somebody. So we're going to look at first, when we look at pride, we're going to look at Peter. Now, most people like Peter. Most people that are mouthy like Peter. Right? How many people tend to put their foot in their mouth? Okay, hello, Peter. But we're going to see, I believe Peter had a pride issue. And I want you to see some of these things. So we're going to go, we're going to start, we're going to look in Luke chapter 22, first of all. And so the setting here, now remember, I'm, I'm not getting into the weeds today. We're doing more of a, a general overview because I just want to kind of uh, open these things up to you. So the setting here is the Passover, right? Jesus has just had communion with his disciples. Uh, after communion, you know, they're all buddies, and all of a sudden, like all buddies do, they get in a big argument about who's the greatest. And then next thing you know, they're arm wrestling, and they're, no, they're not. 
But they're just arguing, so Jesus settles the argument. And then all of a sudden, he turns to Peter and he makes this very bizarre statement, only, quote, only recorded in Luke's gospel. And, and, but it's one I want to point out to you. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. Now, I've got that highlighted because this word is only used once in the whole New Testament. We never see this word asked again. It's not like, it's not like we would think of the word ask when I say, hey, Pastor Jay, would you mind uh, handing me a pen? Right? It's not that type of ask. This type of ask means to ask and succeed. It actually means to demand. And so we're going to look at why, why the devil could go to Jesus and say, I demand Peter, and I'm going to sift him. So he says, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail, but when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So the good news is Jesus said, hey, you're, you're going to mess up, but I prayed for you, and, and when you return, you're going to be restored to ministry, but between now and then, you're going to mess up. And what Jesus is trying to point out, he's trying to point out, you have an open door in your life, and you need to shut it. So next verse, go to the next slide. He says, but he said to him, now this is Peter, Lord, I'm willing, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Now that doesn't sound very arrogant at all. That, that, that just actually sounds almost humble, right? Hey, Jesus, I'm willing to go with you. I'll do what I got to do. I will follow you all the way to death. But I want to show you this in, in, in another version. And Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not, shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. So he says, hey, you may say you're willing to follow me to death, but you have an open door in your life. You're going to allow the enemy's influence to come in because everything in the world is under the sway of the wicked one. And he's going to He's going to influence you to actually do the thing that you say you could never do, which is deny me. And we all know the story that Peter denied him three times. So much so that he, he couldn't even stand up to say he knew Jesus to, to a little 15-year-old waitress. You know, he's like, he even like cussed at him, like, I don't know him. But look at this. I want to look at this in, in Mark's version. And if you read Matthew, you'll get the same thing. So the next slide says this. Oh, so New, New American Standard, so I just want to point that out. It says that that word ask, I like the way New American translates this. It says he demanded permission. So here's the thing. Satan has no right to your life, right? When you accept Jesus, he has no authority here. The only authority he has is what? The authority that we give him when we succumb to and partner with the lies that he tells. So when I leave an open door in my life, I literally give Satan legal access to do what he does. He doesn't have the right. He doesn't have the authority. But when I leave the door cracked, he's going to take the opening. Next slide. So here he says in Mark's, it says, uh, so this is great. This is the same setting. So Jesus quotes scripture, okay? So Jesus is the word. He's quoting the Old Testament. He says, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So according to Scripture, how many will stumble? All. Jesus is saying to Peter, he said, The Scripture says, this is prophesied, every single one of you will stumble because of me. 
I'll strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. What's Peter say? Even if all are made to stumble, I will not. So I want to be like, Peter, what part of all don't you understand? <laughs> like, are you not part of the all? But think about this. How brazen is this? Jesus, your word must be wrong. I know it was prophesied. I know you repeated it. I know you just said it, but not me. That's the height of arrogance. And then he went on and said he spoke more vehemently. So you don't get this in, in, in uh, Luke's version. He just he really gets in Jesus' face and says, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. So you get a little of the tone inflection here. And, and, and when we read Matthew's gospel, or I mean Luke's version, and when Jesus says, hey, Satan has demanded permission, it's because you gave it to him. You've got a pride issue in your life. Think about earlier in this meal. If you read earlier, if you, if you read in John chapter 13, when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, you remember that? So that's the same night. So he's washing the feet. It says he washed some of the disciples, and he gets to Peter, and Peter said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, what I do, you don't understand now, but later you will. And he says, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. Oh, 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 my bad, my bad. Well, you better wash my hands, my feet, and my head then. But here he is again. He's like, no, Lord, you don't understand ministry. I'm Peter. I know ministry. You don't wash my feet. You're never going to wash my feet. And again, he's telling the Lord the way it should be done. In Matthew chapter 16, I think this one's up here. In Matthew 16, remember when Jesus says, Who do men say that I am? And, and Peter says, Some say that you're Elijah, some Jeremiah, some John the Baptist. And Jesus says, Who do you say I am? And he says, You're Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father is in heaven. And from now on, your name is going to be Peter or Little Rock. Like, he said, hey, you're now the rock. It wasn't like Dwayne, like Dwayne Johnson, like the rock. He's like, you're now the rock. But just a few sentences later, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must suffer many things and he must die and, and be buried and be raised again and, and, and be killed. And, and, and Peter took him aside. Yo, yo, Jesus, come here. And he said, Peter began to rebuke Jesus. How arrogant. And I'm sure he's like, you remember me? You, you know, the rock. I'm the rock. You're, 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 you're just the word. I'm the rock. And I think you got it wrong, Jesus. And he began to rebuke Jesus and said, No, that's not the way it's going to go down. I have revelation from the Father. I operate in the prophetic. You obviously don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus says, Peter, Satan demanded permission. And he has every right to because you have a pride issue. You know, it's one a lot, you know, when we talk about pride, I think it's funny because when you mention pride, the first thing people say is, well, I'm glad he's not talking to me. I'm not prideful. 
Oh, pride, that's not me. Oh, <laughs> must be for her, for him. Well, you know, there's a lot of forms of pride. There's a lot of forms of pride. And here's a guy that, that walked with Jesus, was in Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John. He was in the inner three. But all through this time, you know, he, he allowed his life with Jesus to be really, had a major setback in his life because of his pride, pride and arrogance. And you just need to know that, let's go to this next slide. Oh, that's a good one. Pride goes before destruction. Right? So what's the, what's the enemy do? Steal, kill, and destroy. Right? Pride goes before destruction. All right, next slide. It says, when you trust in your own strength, willpower, wisdom, or righteousness instead of God, you give Satan a legal right to access through the door of pride. And Jesus is trying to warn him. He said, Satan has demanded permission to sift you. Now, I've prayed for you, and when you come back, I want you to strengthen your brethren, but you're going to go through it because you left the door open. You may not be aware of it, but you got an open door in you. All right, the second one. Next, lust of the eyes. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because uh, it's probably been a year ago I talked about the spirit of mammon. Uh, maybe it's been longer than that. But I do want to touch on it because it's a big open door. See, because a lot of times you don't realize that the way you handle your money or your finances, you could be living morally right. You could be have a great ministry. You could have a great marriage. You could be teaching a class. And you got every door closed, but you leave one open. It only takes one. See, a lot of times we think that, we think, well, unless I'm living in sin, there's no open door. There's no test. There's no temptation. Well, let me tell you somebody that was probably full of the Spirit more than you are, Jesus. You ever hear him? Right? He probably had more Jesus in him than any of you do or any of it I do. But it said when he was full of the Spirit, he's baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and then he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted of the devil. He's fasting 40 days. In the middle of fasting and prayer and, and intimacy with the Father, guess what comes up? Temptation. So don't ever think just because, well, I'm in prayer 10 hours a day and I'm witnessing and I'm, I'm running a class, I'm doing this. Don't think that that eliminates you from the temptation of the enemy. See, even after Jesus was successful at the end of that passage in Luke chapter 4, it said the devil left him until a more opportune or more favorable time, which means that he's coming back. So a lot of times, although ministry is not an open door for the enemy, he will attack you in the height of your ministry. And even sometimes that itself becomes to build spiritual pride in you. So I'll give you a story. You guys remember a few weeks ago, Phil Kiefer, he preached his first message here. I asked him for permission to share this, so I don't think it's anything out of line because he said okay. But I just want to tell you that Phil, Phil stepped up, he, he preached a message, and 
the very next morning, my phone rings Monday morning, it calls me at 6.30 in the morning. So if my phone ever rings at 6.30 in the morning, it's always filled. So I don't, I don't even have to look. I just know if it's between 6.30 and 6.40, it's filled. And sure enough, it was filled. And, and he said, uh, Fred, this woman contacted me that I haven't spoken to in over a year. I met her at Sheets, and she was down on her luck, and we, we helped her out with some food. And all of a sudden, she contacted me, and I said, stop right there. That's a door. It's the enemy trying to get at you through the guise of ministry. And I want you to do this right away. I want you to give it to your wife. You don't have any more communication with her. You give it to your wife, and let ought to minister to her. And guess what? The woman never called back. Sometimes in the middle of ministry, the enemy comes in because he's sneaky. You just got to have your eyes open. All right, lust of the eyes. Let's go to Luke, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys, but guess what? Thieves break in and steal. So we saw that the pride of life leads to destruction or being destroyed. Now, this lust of the eyes actually allows the enemy to come in and steal from you. We're going to see how that works. It says, but lay of yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Next, uh, next slide. It says, now here's the interesting thing. The lamp of the body is the eye. And if your eye be good. Now I put in brackets there the word single. Do you know why? Because in the Greek, it's not the word good. It's actually the word single. So if you look that up, and even if you read the, the King James Version, it says single. So what he's talking about here, he says you need to be a cyclops. You need to have one eye. You need to have a single focus. And all of a sudden, if, if one eye is good, guess what two eyes are? Plural. Bad. So when I begin to have a divided focus between earth and heaven, between God's kingdom and the kingdom of the world, all of a sudden... I allow the enemy a chance to sneak in my life and attack my finances. And he says, I want you not to lay up treasure here, because when it's here, there's an opportunity for the enemy to get in. And when you exchange it and get it there, he can't get there. He says, and he goes on to say, if your eyes bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one, love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and, what is it? I'm here. Mammon. Now, some translations say money. If Jesus wanted to say money, he'd have said money. He didn't. He only used the word mammon four times. So, if you remember, mammon is a demonic spirit. Mammon was uh, the, uh, the god of riches in the Syrian Empire. So, mammon is a demonic spirit. Matter of fact, mammon, it says you cannot serve God and mammon. So, mammon is looking for servants. Mammon wants to rule your life. Mammon will promise you all the things that God provides and tell you that he provides it. He says, without me, you can't have significance. Without me, you can't have influence. Without me, people won't accept you. You can't be happy. You can't have identity. You can't have any of it unless you do things my way. And he's looking to take control of your life through the influence that's on money. So here's the difference. I always like to use this illustration. If I lay out, I just happen to have a $20 bill today. If you know me, I carry very little cash. So don't try to rob me. You won't get much. I'll just give it to you. All right. So 
If that bill's late, money is not good or bad. It's just a piece of paper. It's just a, a, a mechanism of exchange. Money takes on the spirit that's influencing it. So when I pick this up, it could be money. It could be this pair of glasses. It could be this microphone. It could be anything God's put in your hand. But as soon as I take it into my hand, whatever's influencing me is now influencing this. So if I'm being influenced by the Spirit of God, I'm going to do one thing. If I'm being influenced by the Spirit of Mammon, I'm going to do something else. See, the Spirit of Mammon really works in the area of materialism. If I see it, I've got to have it. Now, now that doesn't apply to cars. Let me just let me just clarify that. So anybody wants a car, you know, that's it. No, but but so Mammon operates in this materialistic greed, envy, and even in the fear of lack, like, you're not going to have enough. You better hold on to what you have. Don't, oh my gosh, don't put any money into that church. They've already got enough. Don't give to them. They might steal from you. See, what mammon wants you to do is think you're going to have more by holding on. That, why in the world would you give 10% or 20% or 30 whatever percentage you give, because... 90s less than 100, 80s less than 100, you do better off holding on with 100 than giving some up. And see what happens when you hold on, you actually lose. And when I hold on, and I hold on because I don't trust God, but I trust what the Spirit's telling me, all of a sudden I open the door for Him to take the very thing that I'm holding on to. See, you can't hold on to something unless you're willing to release it. And so here's how this works. Mammon's looking for servants, trying to take the place of God in your life by promising things only God can truly give. Significance, identity, happiness, influence, security. But it never satisfies. It always leaves you wanting. So I want to I show you this verse in the Old Testament. I, I just want to preface this. I hesitate saying this because we're not under the Old Covenant. We're under the New. And we do not give and we do not tithe in order to be blessed. Right? Ephesians 1.3 says... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us. So we are already blessed and we return to God because he's already blessed us. In the Old Covenant, we gave to get blessed. But, that's my little disclaimer. Did you guys know that the uh, the car dealer invented the asterisk? Did you know that? Side note. So the Phoenicians invented the alphabet, right? You ever hear of that? Phonetics? But the car dealer invented the asterisk. Because he always, there's always a little disclaimer there. <laughs> so that was my little disclaimer. But having said that, what we learn in Malachi chapter 3, there's a true principle here, okay? I just want to show it to you. So earlier in this, it says, where you will rob God. It, said, it says, uh, where we rob God? God says, you robbed me in tithes and offerings. Now, Anytime anybody ever uses this passage to prove that we're supposed to tithe, I take them back to verse 8 that says, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. And if you actually do the math, that he comes out to about 33% of your income and not 10. So most of them just walk away at that point. So, that, that's another disclaimer. So anyway, oh, well, I don't like that verse. I just want this verse. <clears throat> He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord. If I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will do what? Rebuke the devourer. What's the devourer do? Eats. Guess what he eats? 
your stuff. See, people say, well, if you don't tithe, God's going to take it out. Your dishwasher's going to break. If you don't tithe, God's going to get it. One word, your car's going to break. No, you open the door to the enemy. You open the door to the enemy. Like, I'm going to hold on to this because I need it. You know, anytime that God tells you to do something with it, you do it. He's not doing it because he's trying to take from you. He's trying to get the windows of heaven operating in your life. See, we actually live under an open heaven. But I think what happens a lot of times, if you read the book of Haggai, he says, hey, you're spending more time building your house than my temple. And he said, you go earn money to put it into a bag with holes in it. And I think that's exactly what happens is we're under open heaven and God opens the windows of heaven, but we got a side door open, the enemy comes in and the money goes out. It's like having a bag with holes. He said, you open the door right up to it. That's why Proverbs says, it says, honor the Lord, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, says, honor the Lord with all your substance. That means all that you have, everything you have, acknowledge it's his, honor him with all your substance and the first fruits, that's offering, of your increase. He says, so everything in your hand, honor him with it. Everything that comes in in the course of income, bonus, whatever, however you make money, honor him with that too. How do I do that? Honor, the word means to carry weight. It means to be heavy. So the way I honor God with my stuff and my income is I allow his word to carry more weight in my life than the word of the spirit of mammon. See, the spirit of mammon say, hold on. God's saying give. Spirit of mammon say, keep it for yourself. God's saying, give it to somebody else. See, honoring the Lord with all your stuff and all your increase comes by allowing his word to carry more weight in your life than every other voice in your life. Close that door. All right, next. When you withhold what God has asked you to do, you open the door to the devourer instead of the window of heaven. I'd rather have the window open of heaven open than the window to the devourer. All right, last thing. All right, lust of the flesh. This is exactly what you think it is. <laughs> right. Oh, here's the good stuff, right? I didn't say this for last on accident. You know, I've seen a lot of people fall because of pride. I've almost seen almost every single person who's graduated from our home and has fallen afterward has fallen in the area of immorality. It's so it's a door you need to you need to guard this door with your life. And and here's what I want I want to do. I want to read this is a good bit good bit of scripture, but I want to read to you Proverbs chapter seven from verses 6 on. And so this is a story that King Solomon views in real time from his porch. And it's a story about a guy that hooks up with a girl. But the woman is just not a woman trying to get laid. This is describing the spirit of lust. All right? So I, I, don't, I want you to see beyond the woman... And I want you to think everywhere this says her, this is him describing the spirit of lust and how it works in your life. All right? And so how you can close that door. It says, For at the window of my house 
I looked through my lattice and I saw among the simple, I perceived the youth, a young man devoid of understanding. So first of all, anybody under the spirit of, of lust, you're acting like a moron. I'm just saying that. All right. I'd basically say, it's like, hey, a bunch of simple minded idiots do this. Here's what he did. Passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house. The number one way that you fall into an issue with the spirit of lust is walking in an area or in a situation in an area you've struggled in before. Right? Well, I'm just, I'm just browsing. I'm just window shopping. It's just eye candy. It's not. It's not. See, when I got free of lust, and I, I, I was in bondage to it, and I did a lot of things, but one thing I had to do, when I'd go to Sheets, and I knew the magazines are on this, this aisle, I'd walk the long way. Because I didn't want to have to walk like this, you know? I just like, I'll just go, I'll just go, I'll take another round. Jay would like to see that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Whatever you got to do, but you don't put yourself in the situation that got you there to start with. Passing along the street corner near her corner, he took the path to her house, and in the twilight, in the evening, in the black, and the dark of night. You know, it's not just maybe it's not walking. Maybe it's this. You know, nothing good happens at night, really. If it's going to be bad, it's going to be at night. Maybe, oh, hey, baby, i got to go check my email. I know it's 2 in the morning, but I just can't sleep. Really? Maybe you're taking a stroll on the, on the Internet. Maybe it's on your phone. He said there was a woman met him. Now, remember, this woman is not, a, this is a spirit with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. Now, it didn't say she was a harlot. It said she had the attire or the clothing of a harlot, and she had a crafty heart. That means subtle. That means sly. That means sneaky. Who does this remind you of? Satan, right? Uh, my goodness, think about Peter. The Apostle Paul warns us about the, the wiles of the devil. He's sneaky. He has strategies. See, this word actually means, if you look it up in the Hebrew, it means ulterior motives or secret plans. She wasn't going out because she needed him. She was going out to destroy him. There was something more. She just didn't need to get laid, like I said earlier. She had an ulterior motive. And that's what we don't think. Like, oh, she thinks I'm good looking. No, she doesn't. He thinks I'm easy to talk to. No, he doesn't. It's the enemy working through that person with an ulterior motive. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the square, lurking at every corner. Let me just take a pause here. Can you go anywhere and not see immorality in every single thing that you listen to and view today? lurking at every corner, 
loud. You know, it, it used to be that we didn't dare talk about things, that we didn't dare even say what we were doing, but now people celebrate it. Oh, look at me. Look what I'm doing. I've been, there, there's a verse in Jeremiah 7 that says, We've been delivered to do all these abominations. And that's a place a lot of Christians are today. You think you've been delivered to live a certain way. You haven't. It says she was loud. Her feet would not stay at home. She was outside in the open square, lurking in every corner. So she caught him and kissed him with an impudent face. That means brazen. That means she had the audacity to literally just walk up and lay one on him. So you know what? Here's what the enemy always does. He always shows his hand. Anybody play poker? Okay, we'll, we'll have repentance for you guys later. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But in poker, you're looking for tells, right? You're looking for the guy that's holding like a two, three, four, five, and he's sitting there like he's got royal flush. Well, the enemy always always shows his hand. He always tips his cards a little early, and anytime something smacks you, like whoa, what just happened? That's a warning. That's a warning. Something that, oh, she just kissed. Oh, so, something wasn't right about that. And that's that, that's that warning. He, he, he always slips up, and she comes right out and lays one on him in the middle of it. And it said, next slide. It said, let this. I have peace offerings with me, and today I have paid my vows. This was a religious woman. This was somebody that actually went and paid their tithes. They actually, she said, hey, I've already been to the temple. I've done my ministry for the day. I put an offering in. And oh, by the way, I brought my peace offering with me. So after we have sex, we can go repent of it. That's a slippery slope. That's taking grace to a point that it was never meant to go, that, oh yeah, well, God will forgive me. God's already forgiven me of every sin, past, present, past, present, and future. That's a fact. But if you're using the fact that he's already forgiving you to go out and live a certain way, you better check to see if you ever really accepted him to start with. He said, so I came to meet you diligently to seek your face. I found you. I've spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloe, and cinnamon. And here's the thing. The enemy always paints this great picture, right? Oh, we have Egyptian cotton. All right? I don't even know. I think, they, I think hotels still advertise Egyptian cotton. Now, now not the one-hour hotels, but like, like the legit hotels. Now, I can tell you that Kristen and I, we stumbled into one of those hotels a couple weeks ago by accident. Didn't know it. I'm a big Marriott guy. Marriott my whole life. Yeah. So I get to where we're going to, or we have a new business. It's about 225 miles away. So we get there. It's 10, 1030 at night. I'm getting a shower. Kristen's getting in bed. And here I go, ah! I'm like, what is going on? Will you go to bed and be quiet? That's basically what I, that's what I thought. That's not what I said. 
And she goes, there's a toenail in the bed. And it, and it poked me in the leg. I said, well, well, well don't, don't get in the sheets. Let me, let, let me get a shower. So I got out of the shower. I pull the sheets back, and I'm, not, I'm no lie, there was no less than 50 body hairs on this bed. Never, I mean, call the front desk. Oh, no big deal. We'll just give you another room. I'm like, no, but you don't understand. There was like somebody died here. Like, like this is. So we, we get another room. And she goes, well, we're going to upgrade. I'm like, I don't want your kind of upgrade. I just, I just want a room. We'll get to that room. I was like, don't touch anything. Let's look. Sure enough, that was better. There might have been 30 body hairs in this bed. I said, we're leaving. We actually walked out at 1045 at night and got a new, new different hotel. But yeah. I'm not sure why I told you guys that story, but don't, don't, don't go to the one-hour motel. Yeah. <laughs> Stay away from those places. See, here's the thing. Stewardship is not cheap ship. Not always getting the cheapest place is not always where God wants you to go. So sometimes we think the cheaper is what God wants. Sometimes it's like, hey, don't it's cheaper, don't go there. Go over here and pay a little more money. <laughs> no hair in the bed. But anyway, oh yeah, I know what I was saying. The devil camouflages what's going to be disaster. With Egyptian linen, tapestry, it looks good, it sounds good, it smells all cinnamon. You know, it, it just looks great. And I'll be honest, it is great for a while. It is great for a while. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. Next slide. For my husband's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He's taking a bag of money with him. We'll come home on the appointed day. Basically, hey... Everything's taken care of. You're not going to get caught. He's not home. We'll keep it. It'll be just between me and you. Nobody's watching, right? Who was watching this whole episode? Now, in this story, who was watching? The, the king. And the king is still watching. So you might have everything lined up to go do what you're going to do and think that you're never going to be exposed, that you're never going to, no one's ever going to know that your anonymity is secure, but God saw it. The king saw it. And he knows, he's saying, hey, you got an open door in your life. Now, we saw that the, the lust of the eyes ends in him stealing. We saw that the pride of life ends in destruction. What do you think the spirit of lust ends in? Steal kill and destroy. Look at this. And with her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattening lips, she seduced him. Next slide. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter, as a fool of the correction of the stocks, till an arrow struck his liver, a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it would cost his life. There's no joke. So you may not die physically. You might go run around. You, you, you might be fine. But you might, your marriage might die. Your relationship with your kids might die. Your business might crumble. You know, I own a business today in Winchester because the story I was told is the guy that used to own it had an affair on his wife and had to close it and sell it to pay the divorce proceeding. It will cost you. 
it will cost you. Next slide. You open the door to the spirit of lust when you casually wander in the direction or into the environment of known temptation. All right, I know it's late. We're going to finish this chapter because it, I love how he sums it up. Next slide. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Remember, this is the spirit of lust. Do not stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded. And here's what I want you to remember. And all who were slain by her were what? This isn't the weaklings. This isn't the immature. These are people that thought they had it all together. These are mature believers. These are ones that, you know, just because you've matured in your walk with the Lord to a certain point doesn't mean you're not susceptible to this spirit. Because he's sneaky. He's sly. He has an ulterior motive. It's not His motive is not a one-night stand. It's to eliminate you. God says, I want you to close that door. See, they're not getting through Jesus. He can't do what he's trying to do going through Jesus. But he can get in from the side another way. That's what we want to stop. All right, let's stand up. I'm going to pray for you today. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for you. If, if you. if you have any issue in your life, if you've got any inkling that you've got one of these doors open, there's no better time than right now to close that thing. There's no better time than right now. And that starts by saying, God, I, I messed up. I messed up. See, repentance doesn't have to be this booing and bawling and, and weeping. That might, that might be. I don't know. Repentance is just a change of mind. It's just that I'm exchanging my thoughts for God's thoughts. The way I'm thinking, the way I'm acting is not right, and I'm going to fix it. I'm going to say, God, I messed up. I need your help. I can't do this in my own strength. I need you. I don't just need you in my, my for, for the fleshly things I have. I need you in my finances. I need you in my job. I need you in my marriage. I need you in everything. That's where it starts. If you don't know Jesus, I'm going to ask you just to come up here. I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Very simple to make him the Lord of your life. It'll be the best decision you ever made. The second best decision will be to close one of these doors. Let me just pray for you. If uh, Just bow your heads. I just want to ask right now, is there anybody here that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior. So I've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Just I'd like you to slip your hand up to me right now. I won't call you out or any, anything weird like that. I don't see any hands. Anybody here that's struggling with one of these doors? If I show your hand. The hands all over. Hands all over. Hands all over. If that's you, I just want you to put your hands up just like in an act of surrender. We're just going to do it from your seat today. Just like this. Father God, I just thank you that the, the blood of Jesus and the anointing of the Holy Spirit breaks every chain. 
that every bondage is gone in your name, in your authority, under your blood, that we are free indeed. The Father, right now, we collectively bring to you as a church open doors, whether it's one, two, three, all of them, one of them, whatever it is, Lord. And we repent. Whether it's fleshly desires, whether it's spiritual pride and arrogance, whether it's materialism, Father, all of them are open doors to the enemy. But we don't want to give him an inch. Nothing. But Father, right now, we just... We just ask you to cleanse us. We thank you that your forgiveness is, is always flowing and it's always free. And Father, I just pray your Holy Spirit power right now to fill each person. And Lord, empower them to stay grounded in your word because it's your word that changes things, Lord. Father, let us individually and collectively be aware of the tactics of the enemy never leave that door unlocked. Father, we stand behind you. Our victory is in you. You've already won it. I thank you that the end is always good. In Jesus' name.